The following podcast on the Your Own Pay Podcast Network will contain adult content. Listener discretion is advised. More information about this episode can be found at yourownpay.com. For those listeners, welcome back. We are in 2020 because I'm not editing this in the next six. Actually, my goal is that one of us will get edited by this weekend. That way we have it done. Like, I don't know what your logic is behind that, but we've got probably two or three episodes we recorded this year and they, they never got out they never got out <laughs> never got edited yeah I, I plan to have it edited before new year's it probably won't come out until yeah. after new year's but yeah i plan to have it edited. well yeah that, that's my goal the first tuesday of the year is when i want to shoot it out since new year's pops out on a wednesday we can get it out tuesday what's that the sixth or something is my goal you know yeah something like that yeah sixth seventh will be that day tuesday the seventh yeah, so you come- should be hearing this on tuesday the seventh if you're not uh, then we fucked up again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry to interrupt, but it's time. Demasi and Michael just talking tech. The first thing I told Demasi when I jumped onto Source Element, Source Connect now is, man, I got a fucked up set up here. <laughs> so what I'm doing is uh, I told you Barry bought me a boom arm for Christmas, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I got the boom arm hooked up to the window seal at our new house, um, and I have the microphone right in front of my face, obviously, which is super awesome because then I don't have to hold it. That's pl- uh, Samsung Q2 plugged into a, uh, I think it's a Thunderbolt. I don't know. I get USB-C and Thunderbolt confused, but a dock. Um, it's plugged into a dock, and that dock is plugged into the Surface Book. Well, you might have realized I didn't have headphones, and I didn't want any feedback because the microphone's hanging right above the laptop uh, screen, and battery's probably going to die in the middle of this recording. Hopefully not. We'll we'll see. Uh, It's sitting at 67%, so we can't record all day. But then my headphones of what I'm monitoring with is Mallory bought me this on-ear Bluetooth headset because I keep breaking them or losing pieces to them. So she actually bought me two of them from Walmart for Christmas, and they're like $15. So uh, if I lose a pair... I have another pair to back up. So I'm running audio out through a Bluetooth headphones on the Mac or not the Mac on the surface book because that was the fastest pair of headphones I could find. And when I go, Oh, and I have silencio. Thanks to Jonathan Mosin. I'll link to the, uh, Demasi. Do you know what episode we're on? I'll link 42, to <laughs> 42. Oh, it man. is 42. Yeah. Awesome. So you're on pay.com slash DM 42. I thought we recorded 42, but apparently we, well, we, we did we, record. We, we did record it, but we didn't edit it. So, uh, I just actually, okay. So I'll link to it. That folder today. Slash DM 42. I'll link to the article, but I'm using silencio, which, uh, runs a, a silent audio stream to the Bluetooth headset because, well, it runs it to your sound card, which for me is the Bluetooth headset. Because if you don't, then Windows, to preserve battery or whatever their logic is behind it, will disconnect that audio stream. So whenever you don't have audio playing, I was using Spotify and just playing some some music in the background. Well, that doesn't really work while I'm recording. So it will play silence audio so I don't have to listen to Jaws fade in and out while I'm Using Bluetooth. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. And I I was going to try. I, I found a quick form, but you know how forms are. You, you know how that can go. I found a quick form that says, hey, you can use this and this and choose this setting in Reaper preferences and record audio into its own track on Reaper. And I'm like, huh. So like Loopback. So I'm going to explore that for next time because... Well, next time I should have a mixer because I'm supposed to buy one of those in the next week or so. So, 
as soon as I can, what's that word? Decide on something. Yeah. <laughs> so how you been, Demasi? It's been a while. I've been doing good, man. I've been doing good. I was sick as hell on uh, yesterday, which for everybody listening was Christmas Day. Uh, I pretty much slept most of the day. Like I got up for a couple of hours and played with the kids with their new toys. And then I went back to bed and I didn't talk to anybody. I didn't text anybody. I didn't do anything except sleep for the majority of Christmas. At least you you survived it, though. Yeah, I, I, I survived it. I made it through. I'm all right. Doing a lot better today than I was yesterday, man. Yesterday, I was like, oh. That's positive. It's like, oh, man, yesterday I was just completely screwed up. But every everything's been going okay. Looking at our... So I set up a Google Doc. I'm betting you didn't look at the event, so you probably nope. didn't see the link to the Google Doc in there. Uh, I just threw a couple of things in there. I found a, I learned about a new trick that maybe you already knew about with Google Docs, uh, which is when you're typing, you can select the word, hit Command K, and it will do a search. That's also the shortcut to just pasting a link for a piece of text, but you can also have it do a search for the selected text. Like a Google search? Or yeah, like a Google search. search. Yeah, no, it's doing a Google search. Uh-huh. So, quick way to link to things as we're talking if we... Uh, get them right. So what I was doing is I actually typed out silencio. I probably spelled it wrong or need a few more words to go on the end of that to try to link to it. So the link would already be there. That's great because I I wasn't aware you could do that. So see, neither was I. Learning something new every day. Absolutely cool shortcut. I heard about it on uh Matt Geek Gab. Uh, a few episodes ago, I was like, "Oh, so this is why I saw explain <laughs> some things." Got to start using that. It's like, "Oh man, <laughs> let me go create a Google Doc." I also used that docs dot new shortcut for the first time today. Too, yeah, I was creating this doc, uh, which is cool. I have used the invoice dot new for Stripe a few times since you told me about that. So you got to give people a quick rundown of what Yeah, I was just thinking. Like, I think we talked about this on the last time we recorded, but nobody heard that. So. Google, if I'm not mistaken, Google registered yeah, Google. the entire TLD.new. So it goes on the end of your website. So like invoice.new or docs.new or whatever. But they're letting people register. They didn't actually uh, wall it off to only their use. So they thought it would be cool to have it create new things in specific web apps. So one of those things is, of course, all of the Google stuff. Docs, D-O-C-S dot new will automatically create a new Google Doc. Sheets dot new does the same thing for Sheets, etc. You get the point. But one of the other companies that jumped on it kind of as soon as it came out was Stripe. And they registered invoice dot new, which if you have a Stripe account, will automatically launch you into a new invoice so all you have to do is type in customer information and the price. Makes it super easy to eliminate the barrier of entry, which we're both proud, uh, not proud of, but we're both excited to do what we can to eliminate that barrier of entry. For example, recording the best time, the, the best uh, project the first time, less editing. Yeah, there you go. Always try to make it simpler, but it is a great way to get there. Uh, with Docs, is is it like for me? I just typed in docs.new. It was nice to end up right there with a brand new doc. I didn't have to navigate any interface. Just start typing, put a title on it, and throwing a couple of topics that me and Mike are probably going to discuss here in a bit. So you're going to have to to guide that conversation because I do not have that doc open, and everything's working the way I expect it to. So I'm not going to not touching it. I ain't touching it. Hey man, look, it's working. Don't touch it so it doesn't break. Exactly. Uh, one weird thing happened to me with google today I, did you get my voicemail this morning yeah, uh, i actually left you a real yeah voicemail. I, I so i read the transcript actually it was like hey give me a call when you get a second in. and there was something at the end i meant to ask you about it too and i forgot when, when we when we chatted very briefly uh he was like oh whoa we recognize i'm out of storage uh yeah, or at least that's yeah. what the transcription got so what what that's, was going on 
So I, I was leaving your voice in my head. Give me a call you have a few because I wanted to make sure that we're recording today and not on November 1st because that's a long time to wait for recording. And I'm like, wait, this this looks weird. It says I've used 242% of my available storage, right? But if I jump over to Google Drive to start cleaning stuff out, because apparently you're driving your Gmail, use the same quota, I guess, or something is what the link said. Uh, it tells me I've used 10 gigs of 30 gigs. So there's some discre- discrepancies there. I am told that my email will not send. But then Desiree texted me like 10 minutes after I hung up and said, I just got the email you forwarded us. I'm glad it was approved. And I'm like, well... Now I don't know what the hell's going on. I'm still getting emails. So I'm just going to ignore it for now. Yeah, I saw that email that you sent out, too. Uh, so I'm assuming you sent that to the hello address. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's weird. I wonder if it's uh, calculating storage in the shared drive that you're a member of and erroneously, uh, at least in the interface, at least erroneously surfacing that as your storage and you being over your storage, but the system itself is actually calculating it correctly. Therefore, it's not interrupting your ability to use your services. That that could be. Um, I will. I'll play around with it a bit more because, well, if if it is an issue, then we should probably report it to Google because that should not be counting towards my storage from the way that I understand it. It does not. It counts towards my storage as the person who created the shared uh, shared drive in the first place, which is why I made you sure. You know how we can easily tell is I wrote in Notepad, so I won't be able to check now, but when we drop our audio files in, that's obviously going to raise the Limit. usage. Yeah, uh, yeah. The, the space that I'm using. And so I will check those numbers when I get to work tomorrow. So have you heard about this connected home over IP project uh, that Google, Apple, Amazon, and Zigbee, I think, or Z-Way or something is collaborating on? Yes. I uh, heard about it on DTNS, actually. What do you think about it? Or what, what do, you, do you do? You know pretty much kind of what it is? Because you, you probably, if you heard about it on the podcast, you probably know as much about it as I do, which is it's Apple, Google, Amazon, and uh, I think it's Zigbee uh, or yeah, Z-Wave or one of those. Uh, they have come together to form a alliance that they're going to attempt to make home connectivity for smart home devices more accessible in the sense of more things working together. So instead of, you know, having to buy, say, a Google, if you get a Google Home or if you have a Google Home, you can only use Google Home products right now with Google Home certified products. So most of those are actually owned by Google or Nest, I guess would be the proper way to say it. Same thing with Apple stuff. If you buy, you know, if you're using Siri, if you're heavily in the Apple ecosystem, then you have to make sure your stuff is HomeKit compliant. If it is not, then you cannot address it using Siri. The plan here is for them to allow any device built with this new spec that they're starting to work on to address devices over your IP network, which one makes a lot of sense and makes me wonder why nobody thought of this before. Uh, cause everybody, ha- every device is going to have an IP address cause it's on your network. So like, why did nobody think of this before? But secondly, it should make it easier for you to just buy a product in the future and not care if it has certification with Google or certification with Siri or certification with Alexa, because it will just work for future products. It's not going to affect anything that you currently have. Uh, I don't think from looking at the webpage, but I think it's an interesting project and I'm glad to see, I guess the most important, the, you know, having Google, Amazon, and Apple yeah. 
collaborating on that make me kind of hope that it's going to get itself off the ground. Right. And and not only that, but the way I understand it, it should in theory have the added benefit of not having to have a hub for this set of lights. And if you want to try a different set of lights, get a different hub. You know, you know what I'm saying? Because yeah, yeah. it should connect directly through Wi-Fi versus a iteration of Bluetooth, which some of these these smart lights or smart homes are using, and Mallory really wants some more smart lights again, especially now that we move. And we just bought two floodlights today because both of our floodlights out front went out, and I'm starting to think going the smart light route, even with a hub, is the way to go because those things aren't cheap. <laughs> nope, not. I'm excited for it, um, and and hopefully it works the way it should. And as you said, with the the major I don't want to say giants, but the major tech individuals in that arena uh, collaborating and working together should, uh, one could hope, only benefit the consumer and and make it a lot easier, especially for people set, setting up smart homes and not lock you into one ecosystem. Although our family's slipping back into the, the Echo ecosystem. There we go. Um, the boys got Echo Dots for Christmas. So, wow. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, they were on sale for twenty two dollars. Yeah, they were. They were like <laughs> crazy cheap. If I wasn't so paranoid, I would have bought some. But yeah, I'm not. I'm not really feeling. Uh, <laughs> not really feeling already, too much stuff from Amazon. I already got Sonos in the house, so uh, can't be too paranoid. <laughs> yeah, but Sonos, you know, Amazon hadn't bought them yet, have they? No, but but you can have us or Google on them. So someone's listening somewhere. Yeah, somebody's listening somewhere. I, I don't know. The, 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 the deal with the, so sidetracking the conversation from uh, chip connected home over IP, which is the 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 acronym somebody coined out of that. To just uh, like my paranoia and my my dis- the disturbance I feel about some of the smart home stuff. So Ring doorbell was acquired by <laughs> Amazon earlier this year. And when Ring first came out, I was excited because it was the first sort of, you know, reasonably affordable product that was on the market that actually paid attention to their security. So they had ways to push out patches for security holes and things of that nature, push out updates to the devices. And they were handling that automatically. So they weren't leaving it up to the customer to be on top of that sort of thing. Because we all know your average person buys a product, they plug it in. And if they're never prompted to do an update, they're not going to think about going to check for updates. So they were handling all of that stuff automatically, which was nice. And they were actually pushing out and fixing security holes. Uh, There's a couple of Wi-Fi issues that cropped up during the time that they were instantly on top of and fixing. And then in 2016, we found out that they had third party contractors that were watching people's recorded video from their doorbells to help improve the algorithms that would, you know, tell you whether or not a person was at your house because people were getting false alarms because they had a tree or a little small bush or something near their front door and wind blew extremely hard, the leaves moved, and you get a notification, there's somebody on your porch, and there'll be no, nobody there, nothing. So they were trying to fix that. I understand that. The issue was, uh, at least for me, two things. Number one, they did not clearly, explicitly have people opt into that program, so they were watching your video without your 
consent necessarily. Another thing is the bucket itself was not really secured. Like the reason we found out about it is because somebody was able to get into the bucket, which made absolutely no sense. Why do you have an unsecured? Anybody can access this public bucket on the internet with S3. Makes no sense. Mistakes happen. Things, you know, things happen. It's okay. All right. It wasn't a huge deal, but for me, it put up a big warning flag because it's like, okay, Amazon, I'm sorry, I set up a lot of S3 buckets or have set up a lot of S3 buckets over the years. And Amazon, because of people making mistakes with, with default settings for buckets, will nag the shit out of you when you're setting up a new bucket and you want to make it public. Like say you want it to store the image files for your website. So you're like, well, it needs to be public. So people coming to my site can see the images that are in the bucket. Amazon will nag the shit out of you. Are you really sure you want to make this public? Cause you're making this public. It means anybody on the internet can see this. Are you really sure you want to do this? You're uh-huh. making this public. And then once you're done with the process, they still send you an email a couple of days later. Just like, I know I did it on purpose. Thank you. So one, how do you make such a mistake? Two, why are you taking people's information and using it to better your product, which is a reasonable thing to do without explicit opt-in. So that, that sort of threw up a flag for me, at least with Ring at the time. What has come to light earlier this year is that they initiated a program with local police departments in several jurisdictions whereby they incentivize the local police departments to push Ring doorbells to their constituents is not the right right word their residents as a home security measure with the benefit being to the police departments that one they would get discounts on ring products so you know, mm-hmm. here's, here's a referral program right here running okay yeah, that's a little weird a little creepy but okay you know but also they were giving the police departments free access to a web portal where they could log in and view the live video stream and i, I think i'm not certain about this maybe also recorded archived content i'm not sure but definitely view the live video streams from people's doorbells that were installed in their homes. Now, it's a doorbell, so it's watching outside your house. So they're not, you know, looking unless you're weird and you got a doorbell on your bedroom because right. you're 16 and you want people to, <laughs> you know, have to announce themselves before they come into your bedroom. But in general terms, you know, they're they're monitoring the outside of your house, which some people may say, OK, they're not in my house. But, you know, nobody was, again, this was not an opt-in program necessarily. I think it was more of an opt-out if you knew that there was a thing going on and you needed to try to opt out of it. And it's, it's just one of those sort of nasty relationships like this shouldn't happen. Uh, you're basically turning a product that I paid for. It's not as if the police stations were going around giving out ring doorbells to people like, hey, install these and help, you know, help us help you monitor the security of your neighborhood it wasn't that sort of deal it's like we're giving away ring doorbells to people it's like no i wouldn't have spent 200 fucking bucks for this shit and you're going to turn around and use it for surveillance without my permission without my consent to the local police department like to me that 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 threw up all like that beyond through a red flag it was like all right they're dead to me at this point like i have nothing to do with ring whatsoever at this point and the thing that slightly disturbs me is we we discussed before some of the you know mishaps of amazon's canister lady picking up conversations and and doing things not intended by the user you know during their acquisition of ring they knew nothing about this and didn't find out about it until shortly before we the public found out about the program uh, but it brings up an interesting question like how could they not have known about it especially if you're you're planning to acquire that company like that's uh, i i understand your concern especially when you put it that way uh and and i'll, I'll be honest i listened to a few podcasts where it, it makes me second guess it but you know the other positive positive thing is is 
well, I can drop in on Benjamin. As long as not everyone can drop in on Benjamin, I can drop in on Benjamin and be like, hey, what you doing? Well, I'm at work. And, and <laughs> he, it scared him today. Um, I don't think he realized how drop-in worked when he gave me permission. Uh, and then all of a sudden, I'm in his, in his speaker. And he's like, what? What, what are you doing? <laughs> how did you get in there? <laughs> yeah, yeah. How, how are you in front of my TV talking to me while I'm playing my video game? <laughs> I like it, though. Yeah, I mean, there's there's definite upsides and there's downsides. Uh, my my personal feeling is I'm not going to advise a person against for or against either either way. I just like people to be informed as to you know like here's some things that are going on. Here's some things that I feel like need answering or or you should be aware of the like this is a potential problem. And Apple went through a similar thing where they were sending your uh, Siri request back to and having people audit them to try to figure out to make how to make the service better and you know, I'm not trying to give Apple a pass because I don't, I don't, you know, believe in giving anybody a pass, especially Apple when it comes to some privacy or security lady because they beat that drum so hard. It was sort of implied, but it was not explicit. So I can understand why the internet was completely upset about it. I wasn't as upset because I sort of knew it. Like it wasn't a thing that they hid and it could be some similar stuff with ring, right? There, there may be some details that, you know, particular news outlets chose to not highlight as much as the bad stuff. So if you have a ring doorbell and you know about their terms of service and, you know, all of that stuff, and you were actually given an opportunity to opt out of right. these things, like I would love to hear about it because we all know clickbait is the name of the game so they're going to highlight necessarily the bad without necessarily explaining well actually during the setup process they say this because you know a lot of people went nuts about the whole Siri thing I'm like well when you turn on Siri it's like some of your requests may be sent back to Apple to blah 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 and I'm like that pretty much kind of tells you that that's what they're going to do the only problem that I necessarily saw with it was that you couldn't opt out of it and still use Siri it's like hey either we're going to use your stuff or you can't use Siri right that that may have yeah. been a step too far but it's kind of like you know it's a little explicit about it if you use Siri, some of your requests may be sent back to Apple for processing to blah, 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 blah. It's like, all right. So you may listen to some of the things that I tried to say to Siri and figure out why it didn't work. You may get a lot of curse words in that. You're a bitch again. (laughs) Yeah. You're like, huh, I wonder why he's doing that. Well, what did he say to her right before that? Oh, he was trying to get the weather and she was giving him locations of you know, Walmart. And it's like, I don't see how that makes sense either. What the hell is going on (laughs) with this bitch? Let's look into it more to make the experience better for the consumer. Um, but but you're right. They they mention the fact that you know your requests are going to be sent back to to Apple. And come on, when you can't use Siri without it being off of airplane mode, like your requests are being sent somewhere, people. <laughs> yeah, but you know I I can get it. You know, be be more explicit. Yeah. I I think it honestly serves any company better, especially if you're in the position that Apple is where you're always shouting your security and your focus on privacy to be explicit in all ways with all things when you're collecting data, because, you know, nobody wants to be in the position of having to explain, well, oh, we thought we explained this by telling you this. Yeah, it was implied and I understood it. You know, maybe a techie understands it, but a person who is not a techie and just wants their shit to work, like, no, be explicit so that people can't have a, a, there can't be a misunderstanding. Make it so that there's no misunderstanding. 
So on that note, that went way task down management. somewhere. Man, <laughs> fuck some task management. I ain't managing no tasks. I saw you join the doc too. Is that what you meant by that? The note here in the doc is nah. I ain't gonna do any task management now. Nah, I've just been kind of rethinking the whole process of task management because uh, I'm, I'm I, I, I have been continuing to try and use Todoist, mm-hmm. but it, it still has that major pain point for me of. You know, not being usable on the Mac at all. Yeah. So the solution to that, Demasi, is to take the skills you've learned in programming by stealth and program your own Todoist app. Fuck that. <laughs> Add that to your Todoist projects. <laughs> well, it's funny you say that because I did actually think about it. Like, well, they do have an API. Like, I could probably, uh, you know, pull from a few actions I've seen people write here and there for drafts, a couple of shortcuts, and figure out a way to write some stuff that I could even trigger from LaunchBar to, like, just fetch from the API, show me these things, let me do this. I thought about that. I was like... I should not have to write an entirely new interface to your shit when I'm paying for it. Like, I, I don't, I don't feel like it. I, no, I don't have time for that. First of all, like, I really don't right, have the time. Right. Literally, I don't well, have the time. I'm using Todoist, kind of. Um, as you may have seen, I've kind of fallen out of. Huh. There's a new one out here. I just did a quick Google search for Todoist Launch Bar uh, to see if there's already actions there. And there's a new one called Why I'm Switching from Todoist to Informant. So, um, yeah. Huh. Huh. I'm going to have to start. I can't go down that rabbit hole. Anyways, I was using Todoist for... Hey, you should drop that link in the thing, in the doc, but informant, really? I don't know if I want to call. I don't want to use anything called informant. It's already telling me it's snitching. It's snitching right away. (laughs) See, previous chapter. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, the I'm using Todoist... Kind of. I stopped using it for a little bit. I resubscribed because I had some Google Play credit. So I resubscribed to Todoist Premium, hoping that maybe I'll use it more. Ironically enough, I stopped using it so much after I talked about it on Casey, on Kelly Co. And so that's that's interesting. Funny how that, that happens. That happened. Yeah, yeah. And I then started to use it again yesterday, and I haven't checked anything off today that i know i've done yet because i have to go in there and actually have to mark it complete why can't todoist or other task management uh, apps yet just read my mind and understand that i did that shit already and you don't need to remind me about it yeah i think that's sort of the reason that i'm kind of revisiting the whole thing too it's like one frustration with todoist is like okay it's gotten better accessibility wise on ios uh, there's no progress whatsoever on the web uh, or the mac app for me at least last time i checked same with windows uh but it's also that that it's like there's just a little bit more friction to have to you know already i gotta pick up my phone which to me is an annoyance if i'm at the computer with my hands on the keyboard like i am right now i don't want to pick up my phone for anything uh i'm not one of those i know there are people that are like this that they will do specific things on specific devices like oh i'm going to record my podcast on my mac but I'm going to pick up my phone and check off stuff and things. And it's like, yeah, to me, that's ridiculous. Like, I'm not saying you as a person, if that's how you work, are wrong. And I'm not saying the way that I choose to do it is right. Mm. But for me, that's too much friction. I don't like jumping devices to do a specific thing unless it's a thing that cannot be done at the device that I happen to be using, which I don't think should be anything. Uh, we've had a discussion about that in the past about cross-platform services and applications. Like, I should be able to work from where I'm at 
not have to go, oh, I need to, you know, check this Get thing my phone off. to mark those tasks that I just completed. On my computer, off. I need to pick up yep. my phone. Yeah, like, yep. it, it, and then it also breaks concentration, right? But the other friction that I'm experiencing, too, is like what you just said, where I've done a thing, but at the time of me completing that task, like, I was not in a position to go check it off. And now I got to yeah. remember to go check it off. And I don't remember to check it off until it nags me about it four hours later. It's like, oh, yeah, I did that. And then I lose karma points. I know you don't really care about karma points, but did you know that if you don't mark shit off when it's com- time to be completed and it goes past due, you lose like two karma points. And and I could have been a grandmaster on, on Todoist by now, but no, I keep losing these stupid karma points because I don't mark server logs off until I get home from work. <laughs> huh. Man, see, that's terrible. You could game the system just by pushing those, those due times back a little bit possibly yeah but, but that would mean that i have to go in and do that with all my tasks oh, and man, this and that. And, yeah yeah i do like so the 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 longer term things and number one the catch is i have to remember to look into doist so that's that's number one not a big hurdle but it is it's there. I don't want to disregard the fact that you have to go look in your today screen um, because that is something you have to do if it's not something you do every day. I do it maybe about 50% of the time. Uh, I do like the fact that I can go in there and say, oh, it's time to refill the dog water and not have to go check the dog water. Or, or more importantly, for example, oh, it's time to buy more cat food in the next week or we're going to run out. Like that, that's very handy. And I have not found a way to do that with reminders on Android specifically. Not to say that you can't, but that's the only reason I'm using Todoist is for those long-term things and the bills at the end of the month. I mean, if the power gets shut off because I didn't pay it, that's a pretty damn good reminder that I needed to pay the power. Yeah. <laughs> but I'd prefer to be reminded before it gets shut off. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Because then you got reconnection fees and all of that. And yeah, yeah. Pissed off kids, pissed yeah. off wife, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's really important to pissed off wife. I'm not really curious about the pissed off kids. They'll get over it. Yeah. Pay a bill, then you can get pissed off about something. (laughs) I was listening to Clark Howard today, and and he's like uh, uh, talking about how you can get paid like around $7 an hour on MTurk if you choose the right task. He's like, I just need my son to start doing this. He can start paying some of these bills. Yeah. So time tracking. Oh, man, fuck time Are you doing that, or are you thinking about it, or are you wanting to do it? Oh, man, I was doing it, and then I kind of fell off the wagon with it for a while. Uh, I I have not been doing it. I mean, I know I spent six, five and a half hours. I was doing a time card today, five hours and 20 minutes on average, uh, at work and the rest of it. Yeah. I don't really care. I mean, I should, but I don't. Yeah. I, I was doing it. Uh, I was mostly doing it cause I was working on projects for people. Like I wanted to track how long it was taking me to do certain things when it came to WordPress development building a site, doing things like that. So one, I can have a better idea of, okay, when I get a new client, I can actually give them a really good estimate of how long this should probably take me. Like, okay, normally it takes me three hours, you know, build in a little padding right there. Uh, and there you go, you know, five hours, six hours, whatever. And I find myself doing it quite a bit, but I ended up running into the same issue uh, that I kind of ran into with task management, which is one, remembering to start a timer. Yep. More importantly, remembering to end the timer uh, and the desktop apps just not being great uh, for that. There's a really nice iOS app that connects to Toggle, uh, which is awesome. But the Toggle desktop app is a little weird. Uh, and I think I'm more impatient today yeah. uh, than I used to be. 
So it's like trying to figure out the exact ways to hit this so that I can make it start a task or stop a task or resume a task. It's like, I just don't have the patience for it. I, I don't have the patience uh, at all. Uh, I used to use Setup for a while and they had an app in there called Timing. Uh, I think is what it was called, Timing. Mm, yep, yep. Uh, and it would do automatic and there's other apps like this uh, that will do automatic time tracking so basically as you switch between applications and windows and documents and stuff they're tracking how much time you're spending at each thing and then you have to go uh you know fix things up so it's like oh i spent this much time in this google doc okay well that was dm show recording all right once i have assigned that kind of task it'll start to recognize okay when he's doing these tasks those go those belong to these projects or that client or whatever uh but then you run into the issue they don't have an ios app so when i'm not at my computer how do i track my time uh or what there's times you're not at your computer man surprisingly <laughs> there are a lot of times i'm not at my computer and i'm still actually doing work even if it's research uh <laughs> i'm still doing shit. right uh, I don't know. Time tracking to me is an interesting thing because you, you can figure out how long, like oftentimes I think we as people tend not to recognize how long it takes to do something. Uh, we'll say, oh yeah, it'll take me about 30 minutes to do that for you. Uh, it ends up taking like an hour and a half. And it's not because you're fucking off. It's just because like it really takes more time than you think it does. Uh, because you've never looked at the clock like, okay, I'm starting now and it's 1.30 and when you finish it's, you know, 2.30. You know, you start and you stop. And you're like, oh, that felt like about 30 minutes. Uh, and you can be yeah. so off. Uh, so that was one of the reasons that I wanted to start tracking time, uh, not just for, you know, billing client purposes, but also just to figure out how am I actually spending my time? Where am I wasting time at, first of all? Because I need to cut out those things. I like Google Docs. I, I yeah. really do like Google Docs. <laughs> yeah, like I'm, I'm liking it more and more. And it's like, oh, man, you know what? I got to uh, – uh, 2020 is going to be the year of me uh, becoming a little bit more hardline on people. I'm going to stop being as flexible about things, uh, especially when they're yeah. problematic and annoying me, and they don't have to be that way. Well, and we're still using Notepad for saving show notes for one of our live shows at work. And I'm seeing how Google Docs would be super beneficial. Um, so, yeah, keep that in the back of my mind. Uh, I mentioned to Jason, our new PA, I'm like, hey, production assistant. I'm like, hey, just so you know, we could use Google Docs. And then when people call me and ask me for a phone number, I don't have to say, hey, give me your phone number. I'll call you when the show's over and I can actually see those notes. I mean, we are in the 21st century. <laughs> oh, 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 man, that's terrible. Yeah, because I, I didn't think about that. Sometimes you need to see something as they're working on it. It's like, well, you can't do that if you send a notepad. Yep, notepad. I have to wait till they actually save it in the shared network drive and then I can get access to it. Yeah, fun times. Yeah, fun as times. long as they're not actually working on it at the same, like they didn't just save it there and they're still typing in it like that. That, that can... Yeah, Google Docs people. Google. So, yeah. speaking yeah. of, what, what are you guys using for email? Like, are they using G Suite or... or We're using uh, Exchange. Exchange, so they're using Office. Yeah. Uh, We're using Exchange in the cloud, I think, because I can go to an I think is the URL. I don't, but I can. Um, but I also have a, my email for work set up in my um, Outlook Outlook app on the computer and not on my phone, interestingly enough. Because I do have to – people understand this. I do have to have – at least an hour or two away from work email. <laughs> yeah, man, look, you can't check work email. Like, you know, give him a raise and then maybe he'll put it on his phone. That's kind of how that works. That's exactly. Why, you know, well, and, and here's yeah. the thing. I, 
Go ahead. I was gonna say there's a certain payment threshold that you have to pass uh, before I give you like 24 hour access to be able to just yank me out of bed or something with a goofy email about uh. So yeah, tomorrow we need to make sure that we do blah blah blah. It's like yeah, I'll see that shit when I wake up. Yeah, see that transitions into a couple of months ago. Like it had to have been October, November, uh, maybe even September. Amy, one of our sales reps, I'll call her out. She sent me an email and she goes, "Hey, we need to voice this and we need to edit it and get it to me when you have some time." And I thought about it. And I'm like, "Okay." And then it was in my email inbox, and I'm at home, and I'm like, "Well, well, I could record it now, and I could edit it now, and it was on a Saturday. No, it was a Friday afternoon, and yeah, she got the deliverable at like 9 p.m. that day because it was there. It was on my email, and I'm like, I could get it done, and I don't have to worry about it on Monday, so let's just get that shit done. <laughs> yeah. Good time. So tell me about this app that's next on your list. Because I installed it. It looks like it works. I'm talking about SQRL. SQRL. Yeah. 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 I installed Secure, it. Quick. That's it. Wait, what the hell does it stand for? I forgot now. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, secure, quick, reliable login is what I think it stands for. Anyway, there's a link in the show notes. DM42. Yourownpay.com slash DM42. There's a link to SQRL. So, SQRL is... Uh, I'm going to give a very rough summary of it. The link will take you to kind of like the explanation docs and the show notes uh, for people listening. Uh, SQRL was created by Steve Gibson, who is the host of the Twit Network Security Now podcast. Uh, longtime security uh, guy and Windows developer. Um, and the purpose of it was to figure out a different way he what he want what he set out to do was was solve the problem of logins right because we all have the issue of logins one when you go to a site you have to give it a username a password and a part of the problem there's two issues there two issues with that that the, the current way that things work for authenticating to a website number one you the user need to keep track of your username and password if you manage to lose those things then you cannot get back into that account unless they have some mechanism in place for you to reset your password the right. other problem is as we've been seeing over the past five six years uh is you're entrusting said website to keep your security safe. So like, you know, you've given them a password in order to let you into your account, uh, but you're trusting them with the security of your, your, your account at that point. So if their database gets hacked in, they didn't do a great job hashing and encrypting your passwords. Well, now somebody else has your password. And if you were foolish, I'm sorry, I shouldn't say it like that. Uh, no, no. In, in this day and age, if you were foolish, I would say it that way. Uh, if if yeah. you were foolish and used the same password <laughs> elsewhere, now they're going to get into those accounts and God help you. If you use the same password for your email, because email, Email gives bank. people pretty much every. Well, I would say email is probably the crown jewel, though, for the simple fact that once you are inside my email account, you can now go reset my password everywhere else. Uh, anywhere else you want. Anywhere else. To. And ninety nine percent of your two factor authentication systems have an email backup or or some form of that, so you can get in. Or you know, you could. Yeah, I agree with you. Email is email's the crown yeah, jewel. <laughs> even if there's no, even if I have two factor on and like, you know, you can social engineer somebody into being here and say, well, look, I can send you an email from my email account, blah, 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 blah. But you please right. help me get back into my account, you know, send a link here and then I can like once you're in there, you can do too much. 
so even more so than your bank because you know online banking they got an email address you can get them to resend your password to your email address so there you go yeah. uh so what sqrl set, sets out to do and what it does uh is it puts the power of securing your secrets and your authentication to a website in your hands as a user uh it does put all all of the responsibility on you so first of all first thing to note is if you create a squirrel identity uh and you connect it to a website that supports squirrel uh that's what they call a squirrel uh sqrl uh if you connect it to a site that uses squirrel so let's say uh a discourse instance, the Twit discourse instance actually at twit.community. I'll shout them out because they're they're a public facing thing that I know supports squirrel login. So you create your squirrel identity inside the app. Uh, you go to twit.community. You connect your squirrel identity to Twit so that authenticates you as a user. That's how you log into the Twit community. If you lose access to your squirrel identity, there's nothing Twit can do to help you. Like you are completely 100% fucked. Nothing. There's nothing. There's no reset my password. There's no nothing that is going to help you out of that situation. So it does put all of the responsibility on you, the user. Now, on the flip side, you do have some backup options. So one, you can back up your squirrel ID. Uh, you can print it out. You can save it as a file and store it somewhere securely. Like there's ways to back it up. So, you know, let's say you lost your phone or something. You should not be, if you follow directions, first of all, you should not be completely screwed because you should have a backup copy of your, uh, authentication information somewhere where you can reconnect it. Uh, so you're safe. The way that it actually works is once you went in and created a squirrel ID and basically you put in what you would like to be as your username or whatever, who, who your identity is going to be, uh, you create a strong password uh, that you will have to type in to authenticate yourself whenever you're using squirrel to log in. Uh, and of course, that can be, uh, you know, you can use touch ID, face ID, whatever like that. Uh, well, password, authentic, uh, the, the fingerprint authentication or face authentication if your device supports that. Uh, so you don't have to type in that password. Uh, but once you have your squirrel identity, like I said, using, uh, the Twit community as an example, you will go there, you would say they have a button that says log in with squirrel. Uh, if you're using the Windows app, I have not used the Windows app at all. Uh, of course, naturally, because <laughs> it's not possible. Uh, but if you're using the Windows app, uh, you would be prompted by clicking. Well, what you would do is click on the, the, the login with Squirrel uh, image link on that page. And it would, you know, launch a local request to your Squirrel app that says, hey, uh, this site is trying to authenticate using Squirrel. Would you like to do so? And then you would type in your password or do fingerprint authentication or whatever. And it sends back and says, yes, you can log me in as blah, blah, blah. All the technical details are a little bit. Uh, somewhat beyond me, uh, but it does work. Uh, same thing with a mobile device. The only difference with a mobile device is that you would use your camera to scan the QR code that's shown uh, on the screen and uh, do the authentication from your phone. Uh, the neat thing about it is it's sort of like two-factor in a way because you have to have your Squirrel application with your Squirrel identity uh, registered in order for you to get in. The site itself does not have anything to lose, such as a password or any sort of uh, token or anything like that that could allow someone else access to your account. Uh, 
is neat. I'm going to drop a link in the show notes to to the explainer video uh, that he does at 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 uh, twit.tv. Twit. Yeah, okay. uh, kind of walking you through the entire thing since he's finished with it and has actually released it. Uh, I find it extremely compelling as a way for people to log into something without having the barrier that we currently have, which is username and password, because there are a lot of ways that usernames and passwords are done very, very insecurely. Uh, down to the whole email me a reset link to reset my password. Right. It's really a very insecure thing to do. Uh, a service I recently started using, uh, sync.com. I'll drop a link in the show notes to that. Uh, maybe Mike is typing it down there at the bottom now as I speak. Uh, but sync.com, uh, when you set up an account with them, they're, they're a cloud, uh, sync service sort of like dropbox google drive icloud etc uh but what they do is they encrypt your stuff on device before it gets pushed up to their cloud so everything sitting on their servers is encrypted uh but they've done it in such a way that it still allows you to get the same functionality that you come to expect out of a cloud service like dropbox or google where you have access to it from any device when you log in you can even share folders which has been the biggest issue with kind of online encrypted storage is how do I share this with somebody else uh, but during their setup process that should give you an option to say don't allow me to reset my password via email reset link uh, which plugs up that security hole obviously yep. I checked this box <laughs> so I was like yeah <laughs> I checked this yeah, box I'm going to save my password in one password so I can't right and I'm going to make sure that it's there and then I'm going to check this box I'm like alright man peace I'm out before I start putting yep. anything in there I'm going to make sure my one password works everywhere but okay yep I'm good uh, and I like it. Uh, Squirrel is nice. I, I, I do expect that it's going to be one of those things. Uh, it's my hope that it'll be something to kind of take off because it's fairly easy once you set it up. It's not a difficult setup process. Yeah. Uh, it looked like it. Uh, so pretty straightforward, pretty easy. There, there are people who are working on, uh, apps and, uh, libraries for servers and different, uh, programming languages. Uh, there's actually a WordPress plugin that may be out of beta now that adds it to your WordPress site. Obviously, if you can get a WordPress plugin, you can start moving things a little bit. If you can get a WordPress plugin created, you, you can start moving stuff a little bit. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. but it's interesting interesting way to think about authenticating yourself to websites uh, versus the traditional username password method uh, but but the website provider itself obviously has to has to support it right. in order for you it to be beneficial to you so uh, something to keep in the back back pocket and if they offer it use it because it's gonna keep you now this twit.network or whatever the, the domain name is for there, do they have both authentication processes or do you have to use this tool oh, no, they, to they, sign no, up? No, they, they have both uh, authentication uh, okay. processes. Okay. Uh, and actually, so they're actually using Discourse. Uh, mm-hmm. And they are currently using Squirrel through a, uh, shit, what is it called? OAuth, OAuth 2 server. Uh, so there's ah, not, okay. there, yeah, there's, cause there's not yet a, I think somebody's has written a Ruby package or Ruby, Ruby gem for, uh, mm-hmm. the squirrel protocol, but nobody's actually written the plugin for discourse. Uh, so they're, they're actually doing it. You're basically authenticating to a third party server that then bounces you back to Twit 
same way it would work if you use like Google or Twitter to log into a website. Oh, okay. <clears throat> at the moment. Uh, it's how that's working. Okay. So yeah, they still got the regular, you know, set up an account with an email address and all Username, that stuff. Username, password, yeah. and then we can email your 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 ex wife, and she can get into your account and yeah. Stuff. There no. you go. Oh no! <laughs> Side note: that has never happened to me. I get along with my ex wife. <laughs> uh, uh, I was about to say, huh, Mike? So you want to share that story with the people? And if not, you no, got to no, share it with no. me after and, the fact because I got to hear this. Yeah, one. yeah. No, no, no. Notorious things like that now i see you got text expander here i want to talk about that on our next episode uh so people will tune in to listen to text expander on windows they just pushed a beta update today so i want to uh, explore that a little more it is getting to be more uh prominent and more into my workflow again on windows uh Demasi, you have an announcement to remind people of yeah man windows 7 update support ends january 14th 2020 no more so i believe on that date you will get a final update to windows uh if i'm not mistaken uh there's a link well there will be a link in the show notes for you to read all about it but i think you're going to get an update on that date but whether you get one or don't get one that is it it's over there's going to be no more updates pushed out to windows 7 uh at that point in time uh one other thing I would like to mention too regarding that is it's a little bit up in the air at the moment, uh, as to whether or not Microsoft security essentials will continue to receive, uh, profile updates, uh, in the future so whether or not they'll still continue to push definitions so you know uh definitions being like new malware is discovered where they push those updates continue to push those to windows 7 version of microsoft security essentials uh some have said no some have said yes i think the confusion lies in the fact that you can continue to get windows support well you can if you're listening to this show you probably cannot uh corporations with a lot of money and only corporations. So even you as an individual cannot do this. You will have to be a corporation that has a specific sort of uh, service level agreement with Windows, uh, with Microsoft, can continue to get Windows 7 support at a very, very healthy cost. Uh, and it doubles. <laughs> it is not cheap. It is not cheap. And it doubles in 2021. So, you know, uh, might want to keep that in mind. If you have any control over your IT department, uh, yeah, get the hell off Windows 7 because it's going to cost you a lot of money. Uh, yeah. I think the confusion about Windows security essentials come from uh, that those corporations who choose to pay Microsoft to continue pushing updates for Windows 7 in the future will continue to get security updates. And those people who do not but still are using Windows 7 will not. That is my speculation. That has not been factual as of the time of this recording i don't have any proof of that but that is my suspicion is that that's where that's why there has been some confusion over the past couple of weeks as to whether or not the security uh security updates for for uh security profiles be continued to be pushed and updated uh to security microsoft security essentials basically uh get off windows 7 if you yeah. at all possibly can uh and if you're on windows xp damn it you should be off of that a long time ago people come on <laughs> uh if you cannot upgrade because i actually have a desktop sitting uh up under the desk right now next to me that cannot go up to windows 10 it's not re- well it's not recommended that you upgrade this desktop to windows 10 uh because it, <laughs> it, it, it probably won't handle it, apparently. Uh, their suggestion to me is to buy a new computer. That ain't happening. So uh, 
if you cannot if go, only they would buy you a new computer. Yeah, if they would just give it, me a new really computer. It's really easy for them to recommend buy a new computer. Buy a new now, computer. Now. Buy a Surface Book. And it's like, no, right? I don't like really. Yeah. Not only buy a yeah. new computer, but we recommend a Surface Book. And it's like, all right. Now, when that message pops up that says you're running too old of a computer, we will buy you a Surface Book. Then you'll then I click really on it. Yeah, then I'll <laughs> click on it. Uh, but if you find yourself in the circumstances where your device cannot be up great past windows 7 or you're like some people who i'm aware of that have windows 7 and your at whether it's a screen reader or screen magnification uh you can't afford the cost to jump up to windows 10 because then your current at solution does not work on windows 10 uh i mean i really don't know what to say except be careful uh, be, be be very, very, very careful and try to find a solution that will work for you uh, elsewhere in the future uh, because they're going to stop pushing updates to Windows 7 like they're done. And remember, if you have a computer that will upgrade it, Windows narrators come a long way from Windows 7. Like that, though it might not be ideal because you'll have to learn a new screen reader, that and NV Access is a solution for you. So, yeah, NVDA is an option. What's holding for, you back? Yeah, for screen reader users, definitely uh, Narrator and NVDA both work fairly well on Windows I don't know 10. about Magnifier. On Windows yeah, that's what I don't know about. Uh, and I do know a few people that are in that situation with Zoom Text where they have Zoom Text, but they cannot, like, they can't afford to pay 600 bucks to get the next version of Zoom Text. Uh, and, you know, yeah. that computer was purchased at a time when, you know, rehab or somebody purchased it for them. They don't have an open case for rehab. They they basically have no meaningful way of getting the new version of Zoom text for Windows 10. So going to Windows 10 means they lose uh, access to magnification. Uh, yeah. And, uh, yeah, I can't speak at all to the accessibility, usability of uh, Windows magnifier. Uh, so... Yeah, if you have to stay on Windows 7, be extremely careful. That's all I can say to you. Just be extremely careful. Lock down as much of your system as you possibly can. Don't click on stuff that you shouldn't be clicking on. Don't pirate shit because you're asking for trouble. Uh, Yeah, be safe. Yes, I am still using multiple Windows um, on the laptop. Uh, And then I jump onto my work computer, which is Windows 7. Glad we had this conversation. Hope you're listening, work. Uh, Those eight computers we're supposed to get with Windows 10 better be here before the 14th. (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah. Um, The, uh, what do you call it? Multiple desktops. I'm using that on Windows 10 on the laptop. And then I try to use it on the Windows 7 computer, and it does not work. Just saying. Um. <laughs> very disappointing when you get used to a feature yes. and then it no longer like you go to a different device you're like oh yeah that that doesn't work over here yeah, well and and that's so i'm at the place where i might have to move those who don't know i set up hotspot clicker on my work computer because it's connected to both networks our external network and our internal network for audio editing and, and not editing but the automation system and i have jaws script set up that i've created for myself because it does what i need to do so i can get through the program and it works great my hesitation is moving those to the laptop and seeing if they still work, which I guess would be a good test. And maybe I should get over my hesitation and actually do it because if they work, then I can reach out to the company and be like, Hey, here's scripts that I've moved from one version of jaws. Well, no, they're both on 2020. Uh, but you know what I'm saying? From one device to another device and they still work. And here's how blind users can use your software. And it's not an inaccessible pile of crap. 
that's expensive anymore. Uh, but yeah, that's that's, that's the worst kind of my... pile of accessibility crap too. Is the expensive yeah. pile of accessibility? Yeah, crap. yeah, yeah, super expensive. <laughs> I, I'm and I think it's even held me back um, from scripting other aspects of the software because I know that this computer that I'm working on right now at work is going to go away. Either that be going to my laptop and me using tools from that or me getting a new Windows 10 computer. Uh, so I, I've not written scripts for the actual studio software to see how much time's left in the current spot that's running or, you know what I'm saying, to, to write new scripts for the clock manager to actually accurately choose the date and time that I'm working on because I can get through those processes with using the JAWS cursor. So I, I haven't had to make it more convenient because I'm concerned that the scripts I write won't work the same in Windows 10, which I think is a legitimate concern, but I just need to get over it. And probably by the time people hear this, I'll have tried it on a different system. So, yeah, I don't know where I was going with that. Oh, no, but to me, oh. what it sounds like you should do is you should try copying the scripts over to your laptop uh, uh -huh. to see if they work because if you're going to end up with Windows 10 at some point on the computer from work, the computer that's at work, uh, you need yeah. to make sure they're going to work on Windows 10 anyway. May as well do yeah. it while you still have the option to hang back on 7 or go back to 7 you know, on the desktop at work and still get your work done while you solve whatever the issues are, taking those scripts to Windows 10. Yeah, instead of it happening once they put the new computer on your desk and you're like, oh shit, none of this works. Hey, look at you thinking critically. <laughs> hey man, I read a book and uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I read a book because Audible was having a sale. Yeah, yeah. So you're using macOS Spaces? I am back using Mac OS spaces. Uh they're weird. Uh <laughs> they're they're weird. Uh I, I do like the ability to put stuff in a specific workspace and be able to switch between them. The only problem I have is and I think I mentioned this to you before when we talked about it and I talked to you about my having used spaces in the past and for some reason it wasn't working on my Mac. It was a setting that I needed to go uncheck somewhere. Uh, I basically turned it off. Uh, but the issue that I mentioned to you then that I found problematic, and you said this actually works quite well for you on Windows 10, is uh, let's take Chrome, for example, right? I have a Chrome window open now uh, with the dock in it, and then I have another tab open behind that that has Source Now running, uh, Source Elements yep. running, uh, whatever it's called. Uh, source Connect, Source Elements Now, I think is what I punch into Google, and it finds it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, that thing. Uh, running in another tab. Now, if I had this Chrome window in a different space, uh, and I had another Chrome window open in a separate space, so let's say I have, you know, three spaces, uh, one mm -hmm. of them has Chrome with Gmail open and a Google search and, uh, a GitHub page open. Then I have another workspace that doesn't have anything but audio hijack in it. And then I have a third workspace that has this instance of Chrome that I'm in right now with, uh, uh, source now and the Google doc that we're looking at. Command tab. Let's say I flipped over to, uh, audio hijack. I switched over to that space. When I command tab or nope, I think I'm explaining this badly. Okay. Let's start over. Uh, spaces on the Mac. Here's the issue that I run into uh, when I have multiple windows for the same application in different spaces. 
Uh, right now, I have a Chrome window open with Google Docs and Source Now Elements running in a, another tab behind it. So I'm, I've been switching between those two tabs, checking the time and checking the Google Doc. Uh, also, in this space that I'm currently working in, I have uh, Audio Hijack running because it's serving as my backup recording. Now, right. in a separate space, uh, we'll call it Desktop 1, I have a Safari window open and I have a Chrome window open with my Gmail, uh, with, with the Gmail app open, right? If I were to command tab over to Audio Hijack right now, I'm still in the same space with this Chrome right. window. Uh, and, you know, maybe do some stuff and just check, make sure the record is still working, et cetera, et cetera. If I were to command tab again, uh, there are circumstances because what I'm about to say really wouldn't work, but there are circumstances where if I have multiple windows for the same application open in different spaces, there are circumstances that would dump me into a different space instead of it keeping ah. me restrained to Chrome in this space. Yeah, uh, yeah that makes sense. Yeah, that's the problem. So like, Go ahead. I don't know if, if we actually publish it. I think we – yeah, we published it on DM41. So those who might remember – with with virtual desktops on Windows 10, I can press Alt-Tab all day long, and I'll just see this instance of Chrome and Notepad. But then if I get to my desktop and I press Control-Windows-Right-Arrow, that'll put me on Desktop 2, and I can Alt-Tab between Outlook and the other Chrome browser that I might have running, and I won't get those two desktops mixed up. So I think I see the confusion. That yeah, see, I can Alt-Tab. Like, while I'm in this space, I can Alt-Tab, and I'll end up opening up Mail in a whole other space, and it'll move yep. me over to that space. And see, that's the problem. Like, I don't want it to do that. Uh, that that yeah. is the issue because oftentimes, if you got you know, because I have been working in spaces where I had like uh, TextMate, uh, terminal window open, and Safari in Chrome because I'm you know looking at a web page, uh, looking at a website that I'm working on. Uh, but then I got you know a bunch of crap. Who knows what else? Opening a whole bunch of other windows. Uh, and one, I don't like the stuff from other spaces showing up when I'm hitting command tab. I would like it to do exactly what Windows does, which is restrict my command tabbing to just this space that I'm in right now. Yeah. So don't bring up stuff that's over there in a whole other space. Like I don't even want that to show up in <laughs> command tabs, which I don't, I don't need that. Right. Uh, and that's the problem. That's uh, why I, I set up these spaces versus different windows within an application. Right. Yeah. That's yeah. the whole yeah. point. Yeah. But anyway, that's the well, problem. Wow. So if anyone has any solutions, head on over to yourownpay.com slash DM42. That's all I have for now. I'm not going to recommend an app this time. If you have one, you can go and recommend one, or we will definitely do that on the next episode. Man, I don't have a recommendation for an app. Look, apps are great. Check them out. Use them. They're awesome. Uh, yeah. That's all I got. Uh, yeah. Hey, Shortcuts on iOS. Check it out. It is amazing. They've done a lot of <laughs> nice stuff with it in iOS 13. A lot more hooks into You can into voice message Android users within messages. <laughs> yeah, you can. So yeah, check out Shortcuts on iOS. That's my recommendation for you. There you go. Uh, and we'll be back in sometime. no more than a month. Yeah, we'll be back sometime. No more than a month. <laughs> We'll be back at some time in the future. Just stay subscribed to the show. Uh, and yeah. then the next time we publish a new episode, you will get that one too. And see, then you won't have to worry what the schedule is because you'll just get the show automatically. It's not like we do them live, people. It doesn't matter. Just stay subscribed. You'll get the show. I'm at Payon, P-A-Y-O-W-N on Twitter. When he's on Twitter, he's at Damasi, D-A-M-A-S-H-E. 
There you go. Peace. You've been listening to Your Own Pay Podcast. If you've enjoyed today's episode, visit yourownpay.com slash cast for exclusive content and to contact us today. We're eager to hear your thoughts and about how you're making this podcast your own. Thanks for listening. We'll be back soon. The Your Own Pay Podcast, yourownpay.com.